Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ah, nostalgia and wrestling. What a beautiful partnership. They go hand in hand, albeit a pair of hands that is going around your throat and trying to choke every last dime out of you possible as they milk those rose-tinted memories again and again and again. But there is definitely a problem that comes with nostalgia and wrestling, and that is the fact that sometimes it's just not as good as we remember it upon revisiting it. Or even stranger, it's actually much better given the current situation of the industry today. Confused? Well, fret not, my friends, as we're going to explore together. As I'm Jules, this is WhatCulture.com, and these are 10 wrestling storylines totally different to how you remember. Number 10. The Undertaker vs. Kane Saga Now here's how you remember it. A worthy, unforgettable storyline, even if you aren't necessarily into supernatural horseshit. The WWF, marshaled by Jim Cornette's brilliance when he still had it, built Kane as a terrifying monster in the theatre of the mind before unveiling him, and then, marketed by Vince McMahon's brilliant when he still had it, the aesthetic and the presence matched the expectation. The eerie head tilts, the committed beatdowns, the over-the-top theatre. From bad blood to unforgiven, the WWE spun a memorable, daft yarn with cracking set-piece angles. It went to shit when they reconciled, fell out again, and the real arsonist all along was revealed, but when it was good, it was really good, right? Well, this is what it was actually like. This was really, really shitty and nonsensical when it was good. Ahead of the Inferno match, the WWF ran an angle on Raw in which Paul Bearer dug up the corpses of Taker's deceased parents. They, of course, had been burned to a permanent end, but because you, the WWF fan, according to the WWF, are as thick as pig shit, the mere visual of a coffin wasn't enough. They didn't think that they were dead enough, so they stuck a bone in there. Bones that are, of course, impervious to fire. Thanks. Number 9. Austin vs. McMahon Here's how you remember it. A madcap series of piss-funny skits designed always with the catharsis of the audience in mind. It was never too oppressive, Austin always got out of jail. The winning idea was to allow fans to live through Steve Austin vicariously as he kicked the tyrant manager's ass, but never to the point that it felt like he had endured too many 9-to-5 shifts. McMahon was, of course, the perfect fall for Austin's brand of renegade badassery. His ability to slip between hammy, smug expressions and terrified gulps was so masterful that he is considered by many the very best pro wrestling character ever. Not non-wrestler, 
character. But here's what it was actually like. It was amazing and more iconic the broader it got, but the McMahon character underwent flanderization well before 2001. By late 1998, he was a cartoon. A phenomenally entertaining cartoon, but a cartoon. In the second quarter of 1998, however, Mr. McMahon still retained the veneer of a respectable businessman, and his disingenuous posturing was almost funnier than the bedpan bump. Pretending that the WWF was still a family-friendly mom and pop when introducing Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe to oversee the main event of Over the Edge, the idealised presentation of the WWF as a benevolent entity was priceless heel hypocrisy. So yes, Austin vs. McMahon was actually better than you remember. Number 8. Choppy, choppy, your pee-pee. Here's how you remember it. Daft, unforgettable mid-card fun. Val Venus began an affair with the wife of Kayantai stable leader Yamaguchi-san as part of his sex-crazed porn star gimmick. This, of course, drew the ire of the faction, who were later joined by Takamichinoku following the reveal that she was his sister. Honestly, the very obvious exposition of this twist was significantly funnier than the angles, the most unforgettable of which saw the stable attempt to castrate Venus in revenge. But here's what it was actually like. Now, you may remember the beats as they played out, but you might not be aware of how actually disgusting this was in real life. For you see, the woman who played the adulteress, whom Yamaguchi-san threatened to paddle and was filmed in bed post-coitus with Venus, was just 17 years old. Moreover, Bobbitt wasn't exactly the babyface. He was an abusive piece of shit, but was briefly perceived as the victim of a woman who was simply, air quotes, crazy. There is a lot to unpack here, and none of it is good. Number 7. When the new New World Order really peaked. So the New World Order terrorized WCW for years. It was a sensational storyline, a far better invasion than the actual WCW invasion of the WWF. Beyond the awesome lawn dart beatdowns, a reinvented Hollywood Hogan saying that the New World Order was the tits, and the intrigue over allegiances, it was incredible just watching Kevin Nash casually be Kevin Nash, the coolest character in the entire industry. The generalized idea is that this all went to pot when the core group expanded and drafted in the most nondescript brawlers around and virtually everybody who wasn't doing anything else interesting. But here's what it was actually like. The NWO started to decline when Eric Bischoff put himself at the centre of it. Now, it's a complex debate because Bischoff is a tremendous heel here. He did, for a time, accentuate the act with his smarmy, heat-seeking performances, but sold out was utterly terrible. Some even believe that Hogan made the Outsiders act less cool than it was, but the real two sweet spots saw Ted DiBiase introduced as the group's financier. A sensational twist, it advanced the pseudo-WWF group with inspired kayfabe continuity and filled in the plot hole of how they were all actually getting paid. Number 6. The Bret Hart vs. Shawn Michaels Worked Shoot Here's how you remember it. Fascinating. One side saying you're a shitty husband, the other side saying well you're a toxic sh- Head. In the exceptional year of 1997, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels barely worked a rivalry. They loathed one another in a very pissy and prideful way. Keenly felt on a personal level, Hart resented Michaels for his toxic, unprofessional approach to leading the sanctity of the locker room in addition to his vision of wrestling. Hart wished to keep it family friendly. Michaels wanted to break promises he made to dying family members of his peers in order to get heat. The palpable animosity elevated this tense real-life feud into something that threatened to mature into an outright shoot. 
But what it was actually like was ugly. Ugly is the word in almost every way. Hart and Michaels brought out the worst in one another. Hart, an otherwise wonderful man too good for his life's work, reacted to Sean's negativity with unpleasant homophobic outbursts. The cheap pursuit of race-baiting undermined the real heft of this feud, missing the point entirely. This extends to the ring as well, where they prefer to lay on their ass than show any to the other at WrestleMania 12, and only really clicked when they legitimately despised one another in a single match, the Wild Survivor Series brawl that nobody remembers for its ferocious quality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Number five, the rise and fall of evolution. So here's how you remember it a star vehicle that worked in the end, whether by accident or by design. Genius premise as well, with multiple generations of talent working in collaboration, the very presence of Ric Flair and Triple H endorsing Batista and Randy Orton before they even did anything. Yes, they bungled Randy Orton's face turn by repackaging him as a smug coward, but he got over that enough to launch the longest main event running company history. The Batista turn was an all time great piece of storytelling flashing his teeth that bit more every week. It was so good that AEW, by virtue of pattering the Wardlow push after, it considers the storyline as much a cornerstone of pro wrestling storytelling as the peaks of JCP, Ring of Honor, and New Japan Pro Wrestling. But here's what it was actually like. The television match and quality was largely very drab. Even Batista's WrestleMania 21 coronation mostly worked because of the goodwill extended towards the storyline because that was glowing. Beyond the Hell in a Cell blow-off, not a single match worked by or or between members of Evolution while they were still Evolution, even approached classic status. And the promos, Jesus Christ. Given that Trips was playing that Ric Flair role, the Four Horsemen comparison acts as the ultimate indictment. Flair cut legendary, enduring promos as the world champ of his stable. Triple H, on the other hand, spent 15 minutes saying the fact of the matter is eight times a night for about three bloody years. Number four, the Katie Vick controversy. Here's how you remember it. Triple H shagged a corpse. WWE ran a necrophilia angle, and it was the worst thing they ever did. But here's what it was actually like. Triple H, dressed up as Kane, pretended to have sex with a mannequin mocked up as a corpse. WWE ran a mock necrophilia angle, and while it was hardly in good taste, it wasn't the worst thing that they actually ever did, which is saying something. It wasn't even the worst thing that they did that involved Kane, who in storyline canon is an actual sex offender who turned face months later. Why is the Katie Vick angle, which only really involved Triple H 
Triple H, thinking he's funny, considered the most offensive thing ever broadcast on WWE television, other than the fact that Triple H thought he was funny. For years, WWE portrayed women as manipulative liars who cried abuse to derail a man's career. They mocked serious surgeries performed on beloved commentators. They had top babyface stars referred to Arab Americans in racist terms and generally treated being gay as a disgusting practice to be ridiculed. The mock necrophilia and indeed the sacrilege is nothing compared to the real worst things that the WWE has done as fiction. And remember, they've done significantly worse than all of these as a business. Number three, the Yes Movement. So here's how you remember it. A captivating piece of WWF television, even if it wasn't by the company's explicit design. Daniel Bryan was so ablaze as the fan's choice that WWE had no choice but to push the man that they didn't want to push. He was the best wrestler in the world and was so undeniable that the WWE couldn't do its preferred brand of sports entertainment with him. Eventually, when Batista proved to be so unpopular, they had no choice but to give in and present itself as a stadium-sized super indie if only for one night. But here's what it was actually like. It was more boring and oppressive than all of that. Brian was actually hotter and better in the first half of 2013 than the second. The fatalistic booking was to blame here, obviously. His three pay-per-view matches with Randy Orton weren't on the level of their TV bangers, and WWE interpreted their own deflating false finish policy as a sign that fans were losing interest in Brian himself. Only when it felt that all hope was lost during the Wyatt family demotion did they roar back to life. WWE didn't listen to the audience either, but not really, because had CM Punk not walked, Brian would probably be doing 10 minutes with Sheamus. Number two, I need to beat you rock. So here's how you remember it, and uh, excuse me while I do my best Fred Durst impression now. Yeah! And with that perfect synergy between audio and visual, the old endorphins just rush back in a wave of nostalgia, right? You remember just how badly Steve Austin needed to beat The Rock, how that line in that incredibly sit-down interview was so powerful that it hardly matters that it actually foreshadowed the creative demise of the promotion. The needle drop was so incredible that the real memories just washed away. But here's what it was actually like. The creative demise was already underway. And to put that into even sharper focus, Limp Bizkit did a better job of promoting the WrestleMania X7 main event than Vince McMahon did. Vince McMahon, when he wasn't descending into gross parody within the parameters of his own WrestleMania storyline, decided to book Deborah at the centre of the Rock vs. Austin all-babyface conflict in a bid to drive tension between the two men. The premise was absolutely sh- and Deborah's performances were wooden. The actual televised build was beneath the stakes. And number one, the peak of the Hurt Business. So here we have a serious main event proposition that elevated a rotten, synthetic landscape. The Hurt Business highlighted the grim, farcical lows of the early pandemic. I mean, just look at them. They embodied big fight legitimacy, technical artistry, dazzling work rate, and world-class promo skills between each component. They held all the gold and hoisted the belts over expensive, chic suits. And they looked the absolute bollocks. The Hurt Business could have been a great stable, because you see, they were only a great stable on paper. A great stable beats the crap out of babyfaces, cuts killer promos over the corpses, assists in elevating those babyfaces, and acts as a vehicle with which to push new stars. Sadly, none of these things happened. They worked matches with Apollo Crews for three consecutive months. And that's no exaggeration. The feud was redundant even by WWE standards. Then, they turned face for a bit and feuded with Retribution. It doesn't matter how great last 
Lashley looked in a suit, Lashley evolved into a headline attraction despite the Hurt Business. This is quite literally true, the only one time that they could have functioned effectively as a stable when Drew McIntyre challenged Lashley's supremacy ahead of WrestleMania 37 saw Lashley fire them, out of nowhere because he didn't need their help. He subsequently offered a bounty to the 24-7 title geeks, stipulating that whomever took Drew out would get a shot at his WWE title at a later date. But isn't that what his stable was meant for? Why is he getting all of these goobers to do the work for him? Well, it's because the stable wasn't any good. Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander, in Lashley's mind and in WWE, Canon were considered more useless than Akira Tozawa. That's sad. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.